morning, so it's inside picnic, and uh, we invite everybody to come for a time of fellowship afterwards. Uh, Pastor Darrell is uh, preaching Kansas City this morning. Uh, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, he's supposed to be there, and after the church been down, burned down, they built a new church, and they wanted him to come and preach. Uh, that Sunday, they weren't ready, and they said, please come in two or three weeks. So uh, he's there. We've been in touch in fellowship with Kansas City Church probably 50 years, three generations, and uh, just like Pastor Earl is preaching here, his pastor here, uh, the grandson is pastor, and uh, then his father was a pastor there, and uh, he now is a pastor, they're the same age, in youth camp together, so very close, so uh, he's preaching there this morning, we'll be back here next Sunday, but we're happy this morning to have Mark Bechtel, one of the elders in our church, layman in the area, and uh, I was so impressed. I really enjoyed the service last night. I couldn't wait to have you here this morning. And uh, so glad to have Mark. Would you welcome? He's in charge of the men's ministry here at church and active in, in a lot of ways serving the Lord. We're glad to have him here. Would you welcome Mark Bechtel this morning? Thank you, Pastor Merrill. It's great to be here on a Sunday morning. A lot of you probably don't recognize me because I am one of those Saturday nighters. Uh, my work schedule, I work weekends a lot of the time during the day, so I'm so thankful that we have a Saturday night service here so that I can still be a part of the church on a regular basis. But it's great now, over the next few weeks, I have Sundays off, so sorry, but you're going to be seeing me for a few weeks in a row now. But it really is a privilege uh, beyond words to be able to do this. I don't take this lightly. Um, I heard a preacher say that uh, when he preaches every time, he treats it as though it's his last opportunity, and what would he want to say to the people? Just so you know, you guys are in for it today, because uh, I'm having that philosophy, and uh, I've packed a lot into this, so we're going to get started shortly, uh, but I do want to give a couple of announcements for what we have coming up for the men in the fall. Starting in September, every Wednesday, like we did in the spring, we're going to have the midweek roundtable. And this is something we tried in the spring, and it seemed to be a big success. And what we do is we pick a different restaurant each week. So we're off to a good start. And we meet at that restaurant, and it's just for guys that want to come, hang out, talk. We'll probably have a topic that we're going to discuss that night, but nothing too intense. It's not a, a study, something where you have to read uh, or not watching any uh, videos or <clears throat> I guess we won't watch videos anymore anyway, but um, we won't be watching anything together. It's just a time to hang out, get to know each other. Uh, it was great last year. I had some uh, guys from the police and fire department that would come out and, and hang out with us. It's a great opportunity to bring other guys into it to kind of see what we've got going on here. So uh, you're just going to watch the church calendar. It's going to have all the dates and where we're going to be meeting that week. So that starts in September, and it's perfect if you have kids in the youth group drop them off here, come on over, it's going to be right around the church, and then uh, we can come back and pick the kids up after. So that's coming up, and then uh, this fall, this is our first fall in a few years where we're not doing an influence seminar here at the church, but what we are going to do is we're going to be tag-teaming with Danny Dodge, who uh, has Solutions Church down uh, south of Chicago, and we're going to be going down there for a men's event he has. It's a two-day men's event, and Garth Heckman, who is a friend of the church and a friend of Christian Life College, Someone we all, or a lot of us probably know, and once you meet him, you won't forget him. Uh, he's going to be the main speaker and is running this event. So it's at the end of October, 
And Garth uh, asked if he would send me something so we could promote it here. So he did that. There's no, uh, no visual to it. It's just audio. So if you would, for the next minute and a half, just stare awkwardly at a blank screen while Garth gives you his promo. When I say men's conference, what comes to mind? Yeah, me too. Or you could go to the David Alliance Men's Conference. Built for men, by men, who like men's stuff. The very first night, hear from a past enforcer from a one-percenter motorcycle gang how it went down when the president of the gang was murdered inches from him. Oh, and he loves Jesus now. That same night, we have the back-to-back -back award-winning International Blues Challenge winners, also 2018 Blues Music Award nominee, Alter 5 Blues Band. Saturday morning kicks off with the big bad mama jamma. He worked for the FBI, CIA, DEA. We really can't tell due to legal ramifications, but he will share with you how to be the hunter and not the hunted. You need to know what he knows. Eric and Brandon, top trainers in the country, helping us figure out how to get the man bod back. Matt Wallace will share on life's most brutal attack on your faith and how to get back up. You'll never go through what he went through, hopefully, but you'll want to hear a story. We also have Anthony Bolthorpe sharing insights on money and how to win the lottery. Just kidding. The world-renowned Luke Merrill will be sharing along with Ben Eberts, Danny Dodge, and that one guy, Garth Heckman. Friday, October 25th, and Saturday, October 26th. Cost is $20. You can hear about it, or you can be there. Arnold Schwarzenegger will not be there. He had to run to the chopper. <laughs> Any Predator fans out there got that last line? All right. Get to the chopper. All right. Well, that was like a 20-minute announcement in a minute and a half. That's what Garth is all about. And uh, this is going to be a great event. I'm really excited about uh, the opportunity for us to tag team along with him and to be able to do that. And, yes, Luke Merrill is going to be one of the speakers there. So uh, the pressure's on. I'm going to stand, sit there front row, arms folded, say, what are you going to teach me, boy? And, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm excited to hear Luke there and, and the rest of the speakers. So more details obviously coming up. That's two months away. But I just wanted to get that, uh, get that into your calendar so you can plan accordingly. I thought this morning's worship was amazing. The time of worship was outstanding. And... What I really appreciated about it, because really it's all about me, isn't it? No, it's not. But what I really appreciate about it is when we have worship that focuses on Jesus, that focuses on the character of God. Because I think of that song, that old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, where it said, and the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I think about that, that when we focus on Jesus, when we focus on his character and who he is and what he has done, puts everything into perspective. So thank you, Leanne and team, for leading with that. And just some powerful, powerful stuff. That was great to get my head in the right space of focusing on Jesus this morning. Well, one of my, one of my joys in life is watching movies, a lot of like action movies. I just mentioned Predator. But a lot of these movies that have these inspirational moments where the coach or the military leader or some other leader uh, gives a, a, an inspiring speech, gives this powerful speech to motivate his troops, motivate his team, get them all fired up. And where you get chills and you, know, you hear the music uh, building to a climax. And so a couple of those movies that I want to reference this morning, I think of, uh, if you've heard me speak before, you know one of my favorite all-time movies is Braveheart. And I think of when William Wallace is leading, I, I don't have the blue face paint to match it, but when he's leading the troops into battle, 
and he goes back and forth on his horse. And he's going to the Scottish army, and, and he says, dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that one for that one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. And then I think of General Maximus in Gladiator when he's leading the Roman legion in the battle. And he has that famous line. He says, what we do today, men, echoes in eternity. And I think of President Whitmore from Independence Day, right before he's leading the troops to fight these alien invaders, which I think is a true story, but I'm not sure. But he, he he's, has this rousing speech. He says, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We are going to live on. We are going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. And I get chills when I hear these, these speeches, and they get me motivated, get me want to go fight aliens, and these things get me pumped up. And so that leads us to the scripture that we're going to be reading today. Last week, Pastor Darrell read from Hebrews chapter 11, and that chapter is known as the Faith Hall of Fame because it goes through a list of different people from the Bible that have endured, people from all different backgrounds, all different vocations, men, women, that have endured with faith and what they have gone through and what they have put up with and how they endured. So he talked last week about who we stake our faith in. Well, this week I'm going to talk about how we are to stake that faith. So if you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. The words will be up on the screen also, Hebrews chapter 12. And the reason I bring up those inspirational movies is because this passage of Scripture, as I was reading it in preparation for this message, I'm reading it out loud, and I'm getting excited, and I'm getting pumped up. And then I started thinking about so much of the Bible was meant to be read aloud. So I would challenge you, if, if your time is of reading the Bible, maybe they've gotten a little dry or you want to try something different, try reading the word out loud. It injects new life into it. You can even do it in a Scottish accent like William Wallace. Maybe that'll help. I don't know. But I'm not going to try that today. But we're going to read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and read the inspiring words by the writer of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's something that can motivate us. That's something that can inspire us. So we're going to be talking today, actually you're not, I am. I'm going to be talking today about inspiring faith, an intentional faith. And if you read these words, you see that the words are active, it's not passive. It's intentional, it's not accidental. It's proactive, not reactive. It's offensive, it's not defensive. And that flies in the face sometimes maybe how we think of faith as sitting and waiting and patience. But there's something we are called to play when it comes to faith also. The writer compares living out our faith 
to running a race. Now, full disclosure here, I am not a runner. I don't enjoy running. And I think I'm in the majority because even people that are running, they're never smiling. So I really don't know many people that actually do enjoy running. They talk about that runner's high, but you have to run a certain amount to get to that point. I've never run that far to hit that, so I'm good with that. Running is not my thing. You know, I'll go around the parking lot at the police station, and some people that have run a marathon, which is amazing, but they'll have the sticker in their car, 26.3, of how many miles that they've run to reach a marathon. I like the other one that I've seen that just says 0.0. .0. Now, that's a sticker we can all get behind, but... I am not a runner, but I, I did play sports throughout my entire life, and I appreciate what it takes to, to excel as a runner, and I appreciate what it takes to excel as an athlete. But the writer here talks about three things in this passage, three commands that we are given, and how we are to live out our faith intentionally. First one he talks about is aggressive faith. That we are called to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So as a police officer, one of the parts of my job, which I enjoyed when I was a much younger man, but now not so much, is chasing after people. Now I let the radio in the car take care of things instead of my old legs. But when I was younger, you know, someone would run, it's like, oh, here we go, it's on. But you know, a lot of times the bad guy or the suspect or the offender had the advantage for me, uh, against me, because they might be wearing just like shorts and a t-shirt and a pair of gym shoes, and they know the area and they're running through. Whereas I'm lugging around, you know, I've got the full polyester outfit, I've got the duty belt, I've got 25 pounds worth of a vest, a gun, a taser, handcuffs, trying to talk on the radio at the same time. What I wouldn't give to be able to strip all that off and be able to run in shorts and t-shirt and say, okay, let's make this a fair chase at least. But they didn't agree to that. So I see what it means when he says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. When you think about what athletes wear, they streamline what they wear when they go into competition. Think of what runners wear. You know, they just have those little short shorts and that tank top and the gym shoes. Sometimes when you see those runners that are from Ethiopia, they're barefoot even. So they even have less on their feet. You think of fighters, they just wear shorts. Or wrestlers, they might just have a singlet. Swimmers, they'll just have, uh, guys will have the Speedo and, and ladies will have the tight swimsuit on. And it's just having as least amount of stuff as possible. You keep only that which is necessary to accomplish the goal of victory. And what is their, their goal? Their goal in their race, their goal in their match is to win, to be the victor. And so I think about that in our, in our faith, that what is our goal in our faith? What goals do we have set forward? I just rattled off, I'm going to rattle off a few that come from Scripture that, that maybe you have put in your life, but I know that I have put in my life, just to kind of trigger some of the goals that maybe that we should have as believers. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Be the light of the world. Be holy as God is holy. Love your neighbor as yourself. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Preach the word in season and out of season. Proclaim Christ and him crucified. And we could go on and on and on about different goals that we are called to have throughout Scripture. But those are just a few things that I've jotted down here that things that we need to have, that we need to have in the front of us, that we need to be focusing on. 
and it's, we, we need to know our goals in order to know what keeps us from achieving them. For an athlete, if something, a behavior, an action doesn't get them closer to victory, they get rid of it. So a lot of athletes may give up drinking. They may give up eating certain foods. They may give up um, just certain activities that do not get them towards victory because that's their goal. And those other things are entangling them or keeping them down. So for me, I've developed a life purpose over the years encompassing those, thing, those traits that I just said about goals we should have. My life purpose is to introduce others to Jesus Christ and to be a reflection of him. So that's the goal that I've set up personally for my life. So this affects everything I do in my life. Does it get me closer to that goal of introducing others to Jesus and being a reflection of him? And anything that hinders that goal needs to be thrown aside aggressively. I'll tell a story here about uh, my work life and something that came up recently. So we work, uh, police department, you know, unlike firemen, well, first off, police officers actually work, but unlike firemen, we, we work alone. So fire, firefighters, you know, they all are in community. They do everything together. They, they uh, sleep in a bunk room together. They go to shop together. They go on calls together. You know, I go on a call with them. There's five of them tripping over each other, and, you know, there's one of us. So, you know, those, those firefighters, and if there's any firemen in the room, Wake up. Um. <clears throat> but unlike firefighters, police officers, we work alone. We're kind of like general contractors. We all meet in the morning for roll call and then go. We scatter, and we're all out individually doing our own thing. But we do have opportunities to get together with other police officers. Maybe you've passed by a couple of squad cars that are pulled side by side in a parking lot, talking to one another, or you know, there's times where... There's that locker room talk where the guys were getting ready for roll call. We're kind of goofing around in there. Um, maybe if we have an opportunity to grab another officer and we go on a foot patrol together through an apartment, a parking lot, or a business, and that's an opportunity for us to have some camaraderie and be able to hang out with one another. But inevitably, when we get to talking, it turns into messing around with each other. It turns into harassing each other. It turns into making fun of one another. And uh, as a training officer, one thing I enjoy is uh, my new trainees, usually um, this is only for the guys, but uh, not one of them will walk by me without getting shoved into a wall. Um, maybe that comes from being the youngest of three brothers. I don't know. It's, my, it's payback. Um, but that's the kind of relationship we have in the police department with one another. But it, what turns into making fun of one another then turns into making fun of other people. And then it turns into making fun of other people when they're not there. You know, and the Bible's pretty clear. It has a word for this. Does anybody know what that word is? Gossip. I mean, that's really what's happening, right? You know, teenage girls get this bad rep for being gossipers, but you've got nothing on police officers. And so we, get the, we start kind of razzing other people, and we make fun of other people. And it's a great outlet for me to use my humor. And it's a great outlet to do my impressions of other people. Um, and, and what good comes from it for me? Well, I feel better about myself. Because the focus isn't on me. It's on somebody else and their shortcomings and not me and my shortcomings. And so then I feel like, I, by comparison, I feel better about myself. But in the moment, we're having fun, we're laughing. Every time I walk away from those conversations, I just feel empty. 
I feel ashamed. I feel guilty. It's like, what are you doing, Mark? You're better than that. Don't let your insecurities come out in those conversations. You're better than that. And I feel, okay, what are my goals? My goal is to reflect Jesus and to introduce other people to him. Did that come out of those conversations? And the answer is obviously no. And then I think about my roles in the police department. I'm a training officer. I'm a mentor. I'm a peer support officer, which means that when other officers have crisis going on, they are free to call me and to be able to talk to me about those situations. Well, who's going to want to talk to someone that's gossiping about other people? Because what are they thinking? You're just going to talk about me when I'm not around. And so this just came up recently, and I felt you know, pretty low and pretty bad about myself. And I started comparing it to kind of like Netflix. Any Netflix watchers out there where you watch one show, and then what does it do? It automatically starts the next one. And is it me, or are those seconds getting less and less, which goes right into the next show? I'm not that coordinated to hit the remote to the back button, so I oh, might as well sit down for another hour. But it turns into what turns into a half-hour show. All of a sudden, four hours later, what did I do? And it felt good in the moment, but then when you leave, you're just kind of like, ugh, just kind of empty. Something personally for me, I'm a big fan of Double Stuff Oreos. My kids went to a party the other week, and they got to bring the, whatever was left over back home, and someone brought, I, I walked into the kitchen, and there's regular Oreos there. Like, what, what is this blasphemous thing? Why would they bother making regular Oreos anymore when there's Double Stuff available? And now those Mega Stuff ones... Oh, my goodness. Um, but Double Stuff Oreos, I get through that. I could sit down and knock out a row of those and not even blink. And in the moment, it feels great. But shortly after, it's like, what did I do? And I'm feeling miserable. And that's how sin is in my life. In the moment, it feels fine. But afterwards, it's like, I, God, I'm sorry. I don't know what I was doing. So... What I need to do is keep focused on my goals. And anything else that is conflicting with that, I need to violently throw it to the side. So what I did is I was praying to God about this situation. Like, God, I don't want to be this person. I don't want to be a gossip. I don't want to be someone talking bad about other people. And so a very simple solution came to mind. So I grabbed a list of all the police officers and everybody who works in our department. And I got all their names there, and I went through and I listed a positive trait, something I respected about each and every person on that page. So that way, and some people, it was really easy. I just kept writing. Other people, it's like, okay, I'm going to come back to that one. But we all have those people in our workplace. But I, what it did is it forced me to think of the positive about someone. And it forced me to think well of someone. So when those opportunities come up again to talk bad about someone, I'm going to have that positive trait in my mind. And so... It'll redirect my brain and I'll say something nice. So it might cause me now to leave some conversations to, be, to, to get away from people that might think, I don't, they might think then, well, does he think he's better than us? And it's not that. So it may cost me something. But in order for me to fulfill my goals, that is what I need to be doing. There's a fitting quote that I heard this week. It says, if you dislike someone, dislike them alone. Don't recruit others to your cause. And isn't that what gossip is doing? But then I thought, the Mark Bechtold version of that, well, let's make it a positive thing. If you like someone and you respect someone, shout it from the rooftops and let everyone know about that. So that's my new goal now, is to be positive around the station, to leave those conversations that involve gossip. 
And faith requires us to be aggressive, to initiate. Pastor Choco Wilfredo de Jesus says, No one drifts upstream. No one drifts towards holiness. And that's so true. Our default, because of our sin nature, is not to be holy, is not to do good, is not to be set apart for God. So it is going to take an aggressive faith to be able to push through that. So I want you all to think, what are areas of your life where you have drifted? Do you have spiritual goals in your life so that you can say, you know what, that doesn't match up with my goal. Get to the side. Do you have sin you need to throw off violently because it's causing you to stumble? And these are conversations you're going to have to have with God and that I would challenge you to find someone else to keep you accountable with these things too. Second thing we need to, that's being talked about here in Hebrews is to have an enduring faith. Enduring faith. To run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We're not called to walk, unfortunately. We're not called to wander around aimlessly. We're not uh, called to sprint and then walk. And then sprint and then walk. We're called to run with perseverance. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Moment to moment, day to day. Keep running. Think of Dory. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Well, just keep running. Just keep running. A couple days ago, I went to the dentist for my six-month checkup and teeth cleaning. And um, on a side note, do you think there's any place where more lies are told than in the chair of a dentist's office? Just saying. Maybe I'm the only one, but I feel like, you know, when did you last floss? Um, an hour ago? <laughs> but like getting our teeth cleaned, if I just got my teeth cleaned by the dentist and then six months later, for six months I did absolutely nothing and then went back and got them cleaned again, how nasty would that be for that dentist to take care of that? It's something that needs to be stayed on top of. We need to be consistently doing. Just keep running. Heard someone say, no matter how good of a shave I had today, I'll need to do it again tomorrow. And that applies to so many areas. No matter how good of a job I did parenting today, I'll need to do it again tomorrow. And Jody and I will talk about, because uh, we have five kids, we'll talk about no matter how good of a parent, parent I was in the last five minutes, I need to do it the next five minutes because here comes the next kid with their problem and their issue. And it's like, ugh. so you got to keep doing. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. And you think of all the different kinds of areas where we need to consistently maintain Think of a marriage, if you just let it drift. Think of maintaining your car. If you don't do anything, don't get any oil changes, think what's going to happen. Think of in school, if you, get, you do good on a test, you're like, okay, I can coast now. Well, you don't drift towards good grades. And the same goes for our faith. Where I found this rear its head is... In, when I get into spiritual ruts and I find myself sharing the same testimonies that I've shared for the past 20 years, or I find myself clinging to the same songs or the same hymns, and I love hymns, but I'll, I'll cling to those for, for 40 plus years, that I cling to these same things, and, and they're great, and they're enduring, but there's a part of me too, I need a new testimony. I want to be able to go tomorrow and say, Oh, you should hear what God did in my life yesterday or how God answered my prayer that I prayed this morning. That we need to be in sync with what God is doing 
right now. Lamentation says, his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. That is what we need, a new, fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. That we need that ongoing, the Holy Spirit to fill us, to speak to us, and to guide us. To get out of that spiritual rut. I think of the same verses that inspire me. But then as I was reading through this, this, this passage this week, it's like I was allowing verses that have never really connected with me before to move me and to motivate me. And so it's great to memorize new verses, to think of, new, new, to think of verses in a different way that maybe I never have before. Second part of this says, The race marked out for us. Run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. So what and who is marking your course? Who's marking the course that you're racing on? Is it the opinions of others? Is it culture? Is it your friends, your feelings, an enlightened professor? Is it your circumstances? What is dictating your faith? Recently, there's been a couple of prominent leaders that have come forth in Christianity that have publicly uh, turned their backs on faith, on Christianity. And I'm only going to mention their names today because last night when I said people were coming up to me and they're saying, who was it? I didn't hear about that. And so I don't want to start any rumors about people that are still in the faith. So it's not Pastor Daryl. Let's just clarify. We're in good hands still. This Kansas City trip. No, I'm... But the reason I feel like it's not a gossip thing is because they made a public declaration that they, on, on social media that they are slipping away from the faith. So uh, former pastor Joshua Harris and a writer, and then Marty Sampson, who was part of Hillsong Worship. And to quote some of the things, the reasons they gave, that they, they said they publicly proclaimed that they have, quote-unquote, fallen away from Christianity and are, to quote, losing their faith. So my comments here are not about judging them at all. That this is between them and God. But endurance means staying till the end. So they have chosen not to endure, speaking to this point. So again, I'm not coming from judgment, being judgmental in that. These are things we need to talk about. But there was a great response a couple of days ago from John Cooper. He's the lead singer from the band, the rock band Skillet. And I just want to read what he, as a fellow public uh, believer, had to say in response to these public declarations of falling away. It is time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the word and to value the teaching of the word. We need to value truth over feeling, truth over emotion. And what we are seeing now is the result of the church raising up influencers who did not supremely value truth who have led a generation who also do not believe in the supremacy of truth. And now those disavowed leaders are proudly still leading and influencing boldly away from the truth. Is it any wonder that some of our disavowed Christian leaders are letting go of the absolute truth of the Bible, and subsequently their lives are falling apart? Further and further they are sinking in the sea, all the while shouting, Now I've found truth. Follow me. Brothers and sisters in the faith all around the world, pastors, teachers, worship leaders, influencers, I implore you, please, please, in your search for relevancy for the gospel, let us not find creative ways to shape God's word into the image of our culture by stifling inconvenient truths. 
but rather let us hold on even tighter to the anchor of the living word of God, for he changes not. The grass withers, and the flowers fade away, but the word of our God stands forever. I've never said the word truth so much within a paragraph, but that is so powerful. The truth that endures. This truth that endures. We're, becoming, we're coming across people now who are enlightened after centuries of this word holding steadfast, saying, well, it doesn't really mean that. But this is the word that does not change. It does not fade away. Pausing for you to ponder on this point. Hold on. Darn it. All right. And one of the common things that you might hear regarding truth out there is to live your own truth. You hear a lot of motivational people say, you need to live your truth. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but yet I think I'd be doing it and injustice if I didn't say it. There is no your truth. There is truth. It's not your truth, not my truth. There is truth. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion, but not everyone is entitled to their own truth. Truth does not change. And Jesus has something to say about truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the question I have when it comes to marking your course is who and what needs to be marking your course of faith? Scripture. The Word of God, this, this Word that does not change, needs to be marking our course. Timothy says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture needs to be marking our course. Wise people, wise people in our lives. And Proverbs says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. You've heard it said, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Who is marking your course? Who are you allowing into your life to speak their truth into you? Is this someone whose truth is based on the word, based on their time with God? Or is it based on experience? or based on their ideas? What wise people are you allowing into your life? And prayer. Talk to God. God wants to reveal truth to you. I found in my life the times that I don't ask God for something is because I know it's probably, I know what he's going to answer and it's going to contradict what I want to do. But that's the time I need to do it the most. That we need to seek God and he can mark our course. And then we look to Christ's example. The passage here says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And that goes to the third point, that we need to have a focused faith. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. As a police officer, when I go and talk to little kids and in their classroom, and I open it up for questions, and well, the first thing I say is, 
when they raise their hand, is this a question or is it a story? Because little kids tend to tell stories and they have no point or anything and then we get way off topic. So I guess I can do that in adult situations too. <laughs> is this a question or a story? But one of the questions that they ask, the first one they always ask is, have you ever shot anyone? Thank you kids for asking that. And the answer thankfully is no. And have I ever been shot? And the answer thankfully to that is also no. I've been shot at, but I have not been hit, thankfully. But then another question that gets asked is, do you get scared when you work? And I start to think over the course of my years that I've been into some pretty hairy situations. 22 years of doing this job, you're going to deal with some pretty intense situations. But I can honestly say that, no, I'm not scared when I do this job. And it's not because I'm the most courageous man in the world. I'm in the top five, but I'm not the top one. It's not because of my great courage, but it's because I am focused on my goal. My goal is to serve and to protect people no matter the cost. And so when I have that as my goal and I'm doing that, I'm going into an intense situation or a dangerous situation, it's like that's my end goal. And so the, everything else is just, it's extra. I don't have time to worry about being afraid of those things. So do it the same way, do I, do I lose my faith when people and circumstances seem too much to bear? And the answer is no, because my focus is on Jesus. My focus is on Christ. And Jesus said this about himself, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's who I'm focusing on. Someone that's overtaken the world. Someone that's gone through it and endured. I focus on him. A man who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. So Christ led by example that he had the joy of being forever with his father. So that allowed him to endure the cross. So what can I go through? What can I put up with for the joy set before me? And thirdly, for our light, Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And we're talking about Paul here. So when Paul says light and momentary troubles, we know what he's talking about. Getting beaten almost to death, getting stoned with rocks, getting tortured, getting lashes, getting shipwrecked, imprisoned falsely. I mean, this, these are his light and momentary afflictions. I'm thankful I don't have light and momentary problems. But he can say, in light of all that, there is an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. His focus is on Jesus. So our faith is to be aggressive. Our faith is to be enduring. And our faith is to be focused. I'm going to show a, a brief video here. And I want you to look at this video of running and put it in the context of what the writer of Hebrews is challenging us to do.
I don't feel as good as I normally feel. My leg hurts. Sometimes, sometimes I'm sick. But this is this is a physical sport. And if you want it, you gotta go get it. You gotta play hard for it. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Because if you fit right now, you ain't gonna never see I repeat, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That is our faith. So why be aggressive? Why endure? Why stay focused? My plan was to end the message right there, but then I started thinking yesterday as I was going through, I'm like, wait a second. This is great that it shows us how we are supposed to live out this faith, but why am I doing that? I was thinking of Field of Dreams when Ray Kinsella, he, he takes all his crops down, he builds his field, and he listens to the voice that says, if you build it, he will come. And he listens to that, and then he gets to the end, and he's like, I've done everything you've asked. Never once have I asked what's in it for me. But what's in it for me? And so as I read through this, I'm like, this is great stuff. This is powerful. This is motivating. But what is in it for me? What is in it for us? Why does this affect us? Why should we listen to this? Why should we take it to heart? And so I came up with some things that, for me, answer that reason as to why. Number one, it gives me purpose. 
Having faith in God gives me purpose as a man. I was created in his image to do his, his work and to worship and glorify him. I have a defined purpose in my life. Secondly, it repays a debt to God. It repays a debt. Now, I can never repay the debt of what I owe him. But he sent his son to die on my behalf. And I need to live for him as a result of that. Thirdly, I trust God. God has not let me down. God has endured times where I felt in the moment, like, God, where are you? I realized he was there. I was going through that trial for a reason, and it had a purpose, and it refined me. I trust God. He has proved to be true. He has proved to be faithful. There are no contradictions in his word. God is true, and we can trust him. Also, those I trust and respect the most live for him. My parents were here last night, and those are the two people that I hold up the highest in my life. And I've watched them forever, like actually for me. I've watched them and been inspired and motivated by them because they live for God and they live without compromise. And I see the reputation that they have. And I see the humility with which they go through life and the peace that they have, and that is what I want. So that's why I have this faith. Also because God's ways work. They have proven to work over the history of time. They have proven to work in my life, in my marriage, in my relationships, in my parenting, in my finances, in dealing with enemies. God's ways work. This is our owner's manual, and we'd be smart to follow it. And then finally, to be with God forever. Christ, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Now, as I read about heaven, I, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around what heaven's going to be like. So I'm going to let C.S. Lewis talk about it here. He, in, in the conclusion of the Chronicles of Narnia, where he talks about a new Narnia, which is an allegory of heaven, he writes this. And as Aslan spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful they cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That is what I'm looking forward to. As John writes in Revelation about heaven, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he says, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst, the sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That is the joy set before us. I can endure because of that time where I am going to be in God's presence forevermore. And I want everyone hearing my voice to be there too. So you may wonder, what does this mean to have this kind of faith? What does it mean to have this kind of relationship with Jesus? And all I'm going to do is cite a few verses that Paul writes in his letter to the Romans. 
He says that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. You, me, every one of us. We're all sinners. We all fall short of that perfect standard that God has. But there's hope because he says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Knowing what we were going to do, knowing that we were going to sin, that we were going to fall short and we would not be able to have communion with God, Christ died for us. And he says, the wages of sin is death. Meaning sin, our sin, earns death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Let's not make it more, more difficult than it needs to be. And then finally... Paul writes that everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. So that is my prayer for you today. And if that's something that you want to do, afterwards we do have uh, these bags up at the front. If you want to start a new walk with Jesus, you can grab one of these bags. It has uh, a Bible in there and has some information on kind of where to go from here. I'll be up front if you want to talk to me, but I don't want to go to heaven without seeing every one of you there. Let's close in prayer. God, I thank you for this opportunity to share and to share your word and to reflect your word back to my brothers and sisters. And I pray that it would land on fertile ground, that everyone in this room would have that relationship with you. I pray that your will will be done in each one of our lives this week. I pray a blessing over everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen.